Welcome to the Home Team Podcast, a podcast dedicated to unpacking the intersection between faith and sports, culture, and even family. I'm Steve Carter, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sam Ponder and Sam Ocho. And today, we're going to do something different because we've never had a guest on the podcast. But today, we are joined by Emmanuel Acho. And if you don't know who Emmanuel Acho is, he's Sam's younger brother. But Emmanuel Acho is an incredible sports anchor. Just made the decision to join Fox Sports, um, but recently has released a couple of videos on the internet called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man that have been so, so powerful. We hope you enjoy this interview. Well, friends from the Home Team Podcast, I'm super excited because today we got a little bit of a surprise. We have um, Emmanuel Acho, and he, you know, recently he's been uh, breaking the internet uh, with his videos. He's been with Matthew McConaughey, Stephen Colbert, uh, Robin Roberts, George Stephanopoulos. Um, and good morning, America. But friends, he's never been on the home team podcast. And so now, my friends, the guy with many talents and way more muscles than me, uh, Emmanuel Acho, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Sam, is, Acho, is there anything you want to say about your brother? Because I know that you got a little St. Mark's love here. I just love the way you said Stephanopoulos. That got me going. <laughs> uh, nah, e, I'm glad to have you on, bro. And it's funny, I call you E. Most people who know you, they may call you Acho, and so they get us confused. I call you E, I call you bro, but I mean, I'm just proud of you, man. You're killing it, doing your thing, uh, meeting with Oprah tomorrow, from what I understand, so I'm excited for you, boss. I'm excited to have you on. This is our first guest. You're the first guest we've ever had on the home team podcast. Wow. Yeah, it's real. I had to convince Sam and Steve to get you on. I was like, come on, he's, he's, he's legit, I promise. Uh, so I'm <laughs> glad to have you, boss. It's good to be on the home team. It is. Is this really true? Like, you're going to be on Oprah tomorrow? Yeah, how'd you bury uh, the a- lead? I have a call with Oprah tomorrow. I'm turning uh, uncomfortable conversations with a black man into a book. Um, and so I met with five book publishers today, have five book publishers tomorrow. But I got a call and was like, hey, Oprah wants to do a Zoom with you. So I was like, well, Oprah wants, Oprah gets what Oprah wants. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting, exciting time. I got a book coming out too, as you know. I haven't announced this a lot, but I'm announcing it right now. Uh, Let the world see you. Uh, how to be real in a world full of fakes. Whose book is going to be better? Oh. <laughs> Dang. It's just got competitive. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. Sam's book will for sure be a better book because um, Sam's a better human being. Emmanuel Otto just has more pop. Um, <laughs> okay. Hey, I was talking with my That's homies. They said, they said, Emmanuel's got the sheen. Like, you've got the substance. Emmanuel's got the, he's got the, <laughs> the sheen. I, hey, I, might, I might not have no substance. <laughs> hey, but on the outside... I could not believe that in a video with you and Matthew McConaughey, you were the one who's been shirtless more often in the media. That was mind-blowing to me. Here, I, I actually have a serious question. First, I feel like I need to say this because we were just talking about this before we started. It is important. We're actually all real friends. 
So anything we say that is, uh, you know, sounds offensive, technically it is offensive, but it, it's under the umbrella of friendship, okay? So that we just need to get that out of the way. Serious question, all of the stuff you've been doing this last week and the madness of it all, the fact that you even had to squeeze in your big brother um, <laughs> to your busy schedule. I know one thing about you because you are, and I mean this in the most positive way you can say this word. You are a hustler. Like ever since I've known you, you've been a hustler. And I see this happening this last week and people don't know. I think a lot of people don't know the grind that you've been at for, for years now, especially since you stopped playing, but really even before that, just always kind of strategizing and coming up with ideas and being creative and all this kind of stuff. How strategic was what happened this week? Cause obviously you had a, you guys, I mean, it was very well done in terms of like quality and production and maybe this is just the TV nerd in me, but it, it was obviously, it took a lot of thought. So tell us about kind of that process. Yeah. So it's a whole lot of God um, and a whole lot of energy. Um, I get a call on Saturday morning. It's a no caller ID number. And when a no caller ID number calls you, it's either really good or it's really bad. Um, and it happened to be Matthew McConaughey. And um, all he said, I picked up first ring because his wife had DM'd me on Instagram the day before just saying, hey, what's your number? My husband and I saw your video. But like several people have reached out to where I don't know what is what. Like Jennifer Aniston, she shot me a DM, probably the most notable. Oh, I'm going to marry this uh -huh. too. Wait, what? Sliding, <laughs> yeah. in, sliding so, into the DMs. Um, <laughs> Her oh, you know, and, just Jen. <laughs> And so it was funny, her and I end up exchanging messages back and forth, but that's neither here nor there. Um, we'll discuss that later. So no, it's here. It's okay. here. It's definitely here. <laughs> so um, team TMZ right now. <laughs> so look, so McConaughey calls me Saturday morning and he's like, hey, I want to be a part of uncomfortable conversations with a black man. And I'm like, well, look, bro, I'm going to go live on Tuesday. I'm going to go live on Tuesday, June 9th. And he, he's like, okay, how about we tape it tomorrow? I don't want to have like a Drew Brees moment. He's like, how about we just tape it tomorrow? And um, I understood that totally. So I said, cool. I hit up the studio. The studio originator studios in Austin so graciously kind of sponsored anything I do for uncomfortable conversations with a black man, they'll sponsor for free. The studio, however, was painted blue. It's an infinity studio and it was all blue. So we have to roll down a sheet of paper because it takes two days to repaint. So. It's funny, uh, Sam, pondering that people think this is like a high quality thing. I've just expended a ton of time on it. My wedding, my videographers, or two wedding videographers that shot my birthday video that I tweeted out on okay, Instagram. Okay, I'm sorry. When you said my wedding, I was like, there, there's a lot going on here. Wait a second. Do you have other news? Uh, home team, TMZ. <laughs> Emmanuel no, so and Jen just happened. <laughs> <laughs> So the people that are shooting it, like, aren't, they're wedding videographers. The person that's helping me produce it is my best friend who runs track for the U.S. Olympic team. So McConaughey is watching us. He, McConaughey comes in and he's like, hey, man, can you tell your producer to do this, that? I'm like, you mean the girls that, that's the Olympic sprinter? Um, like, so Sam, I, I say all that to say, we tape it on Sunday, turn it around on Monday, we drop it on Tuesday. Um, the ESPN rap that I released today, I've been sitting on that for a week. I taped that before the first ever episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. So everything is culminated at once, very similar to like my Esther moment in the Bible. Who knows whether or not you've come to a kingdom for such a time as this. 
it's kind of, this has been my time. This has been my moment. Emmanuel, we were texting earlier. Well, we've been texting all throughout the process since inception, since we got home. <laughs> but we've been, and one thing you said, you said, I feel like I'm finally walking in my calling. Wow. Tell me about that. Tell me about the process. Because I think our listeners, that, that's powerful for, for them, seeing your rise, but more about what you said. What do you mean by that? I feel like I'm finally walking in my calling. Yeah, I, I think that there are careers and then there are callings. And sports has been my career. I think I'm good at, at breaking down sports. I honestly don't find it all that challenging. By the grace of God, I, I'm good at it. But this, when I say this, I mean standing in the, in the bridge, hold, bringing together black and the black and the white community in a way that hasn't really been done in a long time if maybe not ever since our social media inception, I'm like, you know what, God, I see it. This is my calling. Like I put together my first episode, which has now garnered 24 million views on social media. I put together that in one take. Like, that's what I mean. Like Sam Pondo, like it really wasn't highly produced. I closed my eyes. I counted down. I said, three, two, I opened up my eyes and I went for nine minutes, 27 seconds. I wasn't supposed to do it by myself. I was supposed to do it with a, a white female friend who at the last second backed out. Um, and she was like, I can't do this. I'm, I just, it's not right. These aren't the right questions. She starts crying. She backs out a minute, 20 seconds before an hour, 20 minutes before I'm supposed to tape. And so it I was not me, by point, the way, for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> just just um, to be clear. <laughs> um, and so that's what I mean. Like all this stuff is ordained. Sure. I'm talented and I'm working my butt off. Like I think I'm working harder right now than anybody in the industry, in any entertainment industry, especially given COVID. But it's, uh, God's really ordained so much of this stuff, man. Well, I want to take it way, way back because one of my favorite Acho stories is how you convinced your, your brother to go to a USC football camp that was for the top 300 players that you weren't even, you guys weren't even on the list for as two guys from St. Mark's High in Dallas. And you both started to talk your way in, and, and now that kind of garnered all of this like press and opportunity. I think once I heard that story, I realized who Emmanuel could be. Like the fact that you could talk your way into a USC football camp and the possibility, and then how that just opened up and back it up. And I think for both of you guys in this last two weeks, I don't... I, I've been so impressed, obviously, with the conversations that you've been leading, Emmanuel. Sam, even with you, um, what you did to the Players' Tribune article, I, I, I can't remember two um, brothers actually doing so much good in sports um, for a cause, for culture, for the world, um, like you two have done in the last two weeks. Now, I think Sam asked a great question about your strategy. Do you guys talk about what you're going to do? Like, hey, I'm going to take Players Tribune. I'm going to go. I'm going to go after owners. <laughs> hey, I'm going to go after trying to bridge the gap with white people. Hey, I'm going to go after. I'm going to go after Jennifer Aniston. Hey, I'm going to go <laughs> like do, because you guys, you guys both took incredible lanes in the last two weeks, and just I feel like did a fantastic and wonderful job. What's, the, what's been like that conversation between the two of you? We do a pretty good job of just keeping each other updated. Um, like I'll tell Sam if I have any big news or any news breaks. 
Sam will ask me for advice on, hey, how should I deliver this? How should I post this? How should I do this? Uh, but we really, we don't really have time. Like, I'll be honest, like, I felt bad. Like, I haven't had time to read Sam's article. I haven't had time to watch Sam's video. And so I'm like, I've been so inundated with just trying to stay afloat. I'm just like, hey, Sam, like, that. Hey, here's a note. You should probably consider this. Or he'll be like, hey, e, here's a note. You should probably consider this. Outside of that, I'm like, you go fly, go do your thing. I'm going to go fly, go do my thing. I'll meet you back at the next. You know, like, we just, we, we haven't really had time we, now, I will say, like, I'll steal some of his content and vice versa. Like, he called me before he went on maybe first take, and he used some of my content regarding the owners. And then I used some of his yesterday, I think, on good, maybe it was this morning, on Good Morning America. We do a good job of borrowing each other's content, um, but it's really just a matter of supporting from afar and, and, and convening at times. Yeah, the coolest thing for me that I thought about during this season is that uh, the verse that talks about outdo one another in good works. I know for so often it's easy for people to, to almost look at someone and have this feeling of envy or, or jealousy, but this has been a cool opportunity where I'm, I mean, I'm cheering you on. I'm, I'm catching good morning America and Stephen Colbert uh, and Stephanopoulos. You know, I didn't see that one, but uh, I'm watching all this stuff. And then, but it's also like the cool thing for me is like God's been kind of taking me my own lane as well with uh, working with the, the chairman of the Chicago bears, George McCassie, making a video with him and writing an article about race in the NFL and some of the issues there. And it's just been cool because it's like we're both going together. And for me, I, I take great joy in that because like I'm watching you do your thing and then I'm also able to do my thing and to see we're able to impact uh, a huge number of people. One of my friends, I was on the phone earlier today and he said, man, it's cool because it's almost like the Ocho brothers are rising again. Well, and I love that you guys have such different personalities. So, like, it takes all kinds, right, to reach different kinds of people and connect. That wasn't a shot, Emmanuel. Why are you laughing? Okay? Everything Sam shot. Ponder says is a shot. A good one. <laughs> no, do not. Heard. Sam Ponder says is a shot, bro. No, okay, okay. Are we gonna are we gonna keep it a hundred here for a second? I mean, before we started, you guys made keep it a hundred that uh, Emmanuel has the shine and Sam has the substance. Okay, I wasn't going to say that. Emmanuel, you pushed me to that, okay? I was not going to say that to the people, but you, you forced my hand. Anyway, I do have a question. So I have been, I have had time since I'm just home, wife and kids, butts. I've been watching and listening to all of this. Sorry, was that too crass? Uh, we might get an explicit rating for that. Sorry, Steve. Um, so I have been watching, and I, I have watched all your videos so far, and my... Probably my first question, just from knowing you and watching your career and kind of seeing how this took off, was what is your your goal with this? Not like your life goal for your career, but like the goal of having these conversations and filming them and, and having them go viral. What's the, the goal of all of that? The goal is to bridge the gap. Sam Ponder, there is a clear barrier, whether we want to... Um, stated or not, between black and white people. And the barrier comes from a lack of education and a lack of exposure. It doesn't come from a lack of uh, desire, a lack of intention necessarily. And what I realize is that so many of my, my white friends, my white brothers and sisters, they live in ignorance um, because they know no better, specifically like my white Christian friends. Um, there's the, the, the verse, he who knows what is right and doesn't do it, this is sin. 
And so now that my white Christian friends are finding out like, oh, wait, I haven't been doing that. They're like even more grieved because they're like, wow, I've been sinning, so to speak, um, for so long. Sam, Sam Ponder, my goal is to create a safe space for my white friends to answer questions that they've had about black people that they can't ask. I was sitting at my, 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 this white couple's house two weeks ago on Friday night. And they were like, okay, Emmanuel, how can we get more exposed to black people if exposure is the issue? I was like, well, you could always go to black church. They were like, we thought that was your thing. Like, we thought that was black people's thing. Like, we didn't realize, like, it was okay for us to go there. I said, what do you mean? I go to white church all the time. They said, there's no such thing as white church. I said, to you, there's not. See, but to me, there's white church and there's black church. But to a white person, there's just church. And no, wait, church. hold up. That, to those white people, there's just white. Yes. Let, let's be honest. But there but are many I, I of would, us that know I would that say, there's white church. There's a whole thing. I, I would argue for the most part, I know you, so I know, you're, I know you well and I know your exposure. I would disagree with you. I would politely disagree with you because I think that one of the biggest issues that I've found is a lot of my friends walk around in ignorance. Now, it's not malicious ignorance. It's just ignorance. It's like when I was talking about the story of when I go to a mailbox and if there's a white man or woman going to the mailbox, I'll sit in my car because I don't want them to feel like I'm threatening them in any way, shape, or form. Like most white people don't realize like I'm doing that or that a black man is doing such a thing. Like if they see you on the sidewalk, we just gonna get off the sidewalk. Like, hey, I don't want no problems here. My goal is to allow everyone, the white people, the black people, to understand the other state in which the other person has to exist. Because that just will allow our lives to exist better and coexist better. Emmanuel, how, how do you have the patience when having to deal with ignorance? How, how do you not just find yourself just like, just overreacting or getting frustrated because you just seem to have like a real peace and grace about it. Um, almost like you welcome McConaughey's questions. You welcome this older white couple talking about white church. Um, <laughs> how, how do you have the patience? I am very logical. I'm not a very emotional person as my brother will testify to. I'm incredibly logical. So if there's a solution, let's just do the solution and not worry about anything else. And I realize the solution to the world's, longest America's longest most deep rooted issue beyond sin is exposure like that is the solution we we dictate how we feel about white people black people do several of us by what we've heard by what like the world has told us about white people and the man several white people dictate how they feel about black people by what movies and hip-hop songs and the media and the history books tell them and so I realized man okay Acho getting mad ain't gonna help nobody so let's just have a conversation like let's expose ourselves and let me let me expose my culture to these people so that they can understand oh not all black people are a threat oh not all white people are racist oh as soon as we realize those things now we can all move forward um so it's not a matter of like i get frustrated sure and some questions to a degree are annoying and dumb but i'm just i just want a resolution uh more than anyone what are some of those annoying and dumb questions? Because I know you, I know like, if people talk about patience, but there's a piece of like, all right, bro, let's, let's move on. You know what I mean? Like, just going back, you know what I mean? Like, what are some stuff that's been like, okay, let's move on. Not even whether it's the race thing or even things that you've seen in, in people. Talk to us about that. 
Yeah, I think there's just such a lack of understanding on both sides. I got an email. So the, the first video ended up getting 14,000 comments. And I tried to sift through several of them, but I got several emails. And one email was like, hey, Emmanuel, it was a, a young white girl in somewhere in the South. Hey, Emmanuel, super thankful for your video. Like it really opened up my eyes. But some black people are just so hood and keep perpetuating the stereotype. Like I just don't get why they walk around with their pants down their butts and why like they wear these do-rags on their head. And I was like, okay. I was like, let me explain to you how ghettos even started. And let me talk to you about redlining. And let me talk to you about the fact that after the Civil War, when uh, we were choosing where people were going to live, we put black people and people of color in the least desirable areas. And they were redlined. And so therefore, they could not get funding and bank funding to build houses. And so when the funding came in, they wouldn't go to the areas that were redlined where the black people were. Okay, now you wonder, well, how come they're not educated? Because 50% of public school funding comes from property taxes. So if the schools are funded by the homes that aren't funded, then the schools are bad. If the two primary ways to acquire wealth historically in America are through education and through homes, then you don't have an education because you ain't got a home. And so I'm like, let me just explain to you why what you're seeing is existing. I used to be like so many of my friends who was just like, oh, you can work your way through anything. You can achieve the American dream if you want to. It's all about hard work. My parents came from Nigeria with nothing and they got their doctorate. So I'm like, yes, we can achieve anything. Then I took a class getting my master's called Social Determinants of Health. And I realized, nah, some people are kind of born with a really bad deck. By the grace of God, maybe they can flip it. But some people are born to fail and you got to find a way and pray that like you can get out of that. But it's not a fair playing field. I mean, I think about, I'll think about this. Pardon me for rambling. I live in Austin, Texas. On the east side of Austin, Texas, that was what used to be the Negro district. That's where all the black people live. That was the red line district. On the west side is Lake Travis, familiar and Westlake, familiar for Nick Foles, Drew Brees, Baker Mayfield. It's only by being white that you were able to be on that side and the other people were able to be on the other side from your lineage and your generations is what I'm referring to. So when you talk about wealth that has been passed down and been passed down and been passed down, when you grow up and you get to go to Westlake, one of the top high schools in Austin, and the other person grows up and they have to go to one of the dirt poor high schools, that ain't got nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with way back when and inequality. And so I just want people to understand, you know what? Maybe I've had help in life that I never realized. So let me not be so quick to judge. I guess my my question, one of the questions I had, I think it was after the McConaughey video, and I can't remember if he said something about this. It came up in one of the videos. You'll know what I'm talking about. But he was talking about what equality means. And I had never really spent time. I, I'd only thought of that from like a female-male perspective, right? Because that's a whole other issue for another time. And my definition was always that we are equal in value, but not the same. Because I think sometimes we get real in the weeds with sameness. Like, oh, we're equal. So we all have to look the same yeah. and talk the same and dress the same and, and all that. So how in this scenario, on this topic, how would you define equality? Like, what does that look like in modern day in terms of the goal you have really from what you communicated, the goal you have by doing these videos? So I'll preface with the fact that we've never seen equality in America. 
that's what I told uh, McConaughey, and that is what I will say here is we've never seen equality. My goal for equality is simply to look at someone and esteem and value them the same. My goal actually for equality is to not cast judgment on a person before you have interacted with that person. And, and Sam Pondy, we know that doesn't exist. There are implicit bias all over the world. White people can't jump. White people aren't athletic. Asians are good at math. Uh, black people are athletic. Black people are unintelligent. Equality for me is looking at a person as if they were a blank white sheet of paper. And as you continue to interact with them, now you fill in the paper. Now you fill in the sheet. Um, but we don't have that. Will we ever get that? Through generations, I view it like this. If you walk up to a water fountain and the water fountain hasn't been running in a while, when you first hit the button, you'll see dirty water come out. But as you continue to hold on to the button and the water continues to stream out, it'll get a little bit cleaner and then a little bit cleaner. Then after several seconds, it'll be clean. That's what will happen in our society. Right now, our society is very muddy. The, the racial inequality is very muddy. But if we start to educate ourselves now and pass down this education in the generations and this exposure in the generations, it'll begin to become clean. So Sam, as far as equality, I hope we can get to a point where our children look at each other and see blank sheets of paper and don't look at each other and already cast um, certain things onto their life. As children, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that was uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. Obviously, we're not there yet. My Where it gets a little murky for me, and I'll, I'll just use an example from just yesterday. We haven't been going out much because of all the COVID stuff, but uh, we went down the street and... Uh, got a smoothie and we were sitting outside just my five-year-old daughter and I and I know Sam and Steve know this because I've talked about it before but you know my childhood was right with um, and I was followed by child molesters I had attempted kidnappings like just terrible stuff when I was little which obviously would scar any child well all of those men who tried to do those things to me were white and there was a guy who walked past us while we were sitting there. And look, I know this isn't PC to say, but I don't know any other way to say it other than he reminded me of those guys. There was a certain look about him. Like he just, he was a, what I would describe probably not on camera as like a shady white dude to me. That triggered like all these thoughts. And I'm not kidding. This is embarrassing to say, but I'm just gonna admit it. I pulled my purse closer to my, like it was kind of far away from me and my phone was like sitting on top of it. and I pulled it close to me almost like without even thinking like it just it was like a reactionary thing my my body and my mind remembered those experiences profiled this guy based uh, who know he could have been like a pastor or a kindergarten teacher who knows but um I immediately had that reaction and I guess the reason I'm, I'm saying this is to say how do we as adults Treat people equally and do what you said. Try, try to have a, a what you call it, like a blank sheet of paper with each person yeah. and still be wise in our, in our interactions. You know, like I'm not talking about, and I, I heard you say this with Matthew, I think, where it was like, you think white people are just like scared, like think a, a black guy on the street is scary. I know that there are a lot of people who I'm sure have that feeling and have that, like that's not a, a personal thing for me. But I do know what it's like to have past experiences and then judge people in the future based off of those experiences. All that to say, I think that's one of the big struggles of this issue is yeah. we are taking 
I think it's so much easier with kids, right? Because so you said this, but I, I, I think it's true in so many ways. Like kids learn racism and bias like that, that. They learn that from watching you. They don't come out that way. We all know that with little kids. So it's not the, the children, I think, hopefully, based off what's happening, like your video, are, are growing up in a more accepting, open generation. I hope that is my hope for our children. What do we do with the adults like me, whether it's the issues I have from my past or people, especially in the South where it's more concentrated because um, segregation has even lasted longer in the experiences I've had there in terms of literally just living on different parts of town and all that kind of stuff. How do we handle that as adults? How do we take away the experiences we had and, and see people in that um, as that blank sheet of paper like you you describe. I think um, I think practically, if I'm being honest, you can't as an adult. Practically, like realistically speaking, it's almost as if um, you were to have your whole doctorate written up, and it would be like, okay, now imagine this this whole book is empty. It's it's not practical. Um, the fact of the matter is, Sam, to your point, your past experiences allowed you to draw a future conclusion. The difference is, we exist in a world where people are drawing conclusions based on experiences that didn't necessarily exist, based on experiences that they saw on television or heard in rap songs. Like, not every black person has had an experience with a white person who, who necessarily profiled them. But society tells us this is what white people do. Not every white person, because they just don't hang out with black people, has had an experience where they've run into a hood, quote-unquote, or, or a gangster, quote-unquote, black dude. But what does the movie you watched on Friday night tell you? And so now we got people drawing from experiences that they never experienced. And so that's the problem. I, I totally understand drawing from real life experiences. At that point in time, it's just a matter of, okay, can you rewire your brain, et cetera? My biggest issue is we have a world. We have a world that draws on experiences that they never actually experienced. So to, to culminate the, the answer, as adults, it's like learning a language as an adult, or it's like learning how to play a, an instrument as an adult. It's possible, but I think we have to start with our children. Like we have to expose our children so that when they become adults, teach a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. So when they become adults, it's all it's all good. Yeah, and I'm learning too that it just takes work. Relationships like that take work. Is it possible? Yes, but it's difficult. Think about in the work atmosphere, specifically in the NFL with coaches. If you're going in as a coach and you want to hire new coaches, you, you want to hire people who, who speak the same language as you, people who think mm -hmm. the same as you, people you can joke with and be comfortable around. You don't necessarily want to hire a coach who you may have to kind of walk on your toes around and, and maybe you'll say something that may offend them because you don't under, understand their culture. So there's two pieces there that exist. Number one, it's that fear of not wanting to offend. But then the other, the other, Thing that is this is this comfort of saying well i don't really know you and i don't want to take the time to get Correct. to know you so let me just stick with the people who i know the people who look like me the people who probably act like me and most likely grew up like me and so and so yes it's possible but it just takes work and not many people are willing to put in the work i think about uh McC george mccaskey and i two three years ago actually longer than that i signed with the bears in 2015 i didn't event there in 2016 and he showed up to my event. I did a celebrity waiter night trying to raise money for some nonprofit work that my family, that Emmanuel and I do, some of our family does. And I invited all my teammates. I didn't invite too many coaches. I didn't know him too well. I run into George McCaskey 
at the mall a week before the event's supposed to take place. Hadn't talked to him more than once, didn't really know him from Adam at that time. And I see this guy in the mall, but I knew it was George. I, I just, from the pictures. And he stops me <laughs> and he says, he says, hey, Sam, I heard you got an event coming up this weekend. Why didn't I get the invite? And I look at him like, I mean, is he joking? What, and, and I say, <laughs> well, hey, you're more than welcome to come. I'd love for you to come. Here's the date, time, and place. He says, okay, great, I'll be there. Well, fast forward three days later, he shows up in an Acho jersey, the first one there. And at, and at this celebrity waiter night, he's serving people food. Wow. And so at that moment, trust was built. Mm -hmm. I, I'd have ran through a brick wall for him at that moment. And so fast forward a year later, when the, the NFL was brought to its knees, both literally and figuratively, with Colin Kaepernick and, and every team taking a knee after, after some statements made by the president, George McCaskey came to me and said, Sam, what should we do? Ryan Pace, the general manager, came to me and said, Sam, what, what should we do? John Fox, head coach, came to me and said, Sam, what should we do? Why? Because trust was built. As a team, later on, we locked arms. We won the game. The team we played against, the Pittsburgh Steelers, it was a really bad showing. Half the guys stayed in, half the guys came out. It was a bad look. Well, fast forward after that game, McCaskey comes back to me in the locker room and says, Sam, unbelievable job. I love what you did there. I want us to help solve this issue. And if you're about it, my door's open. My door's open. And because that trust was built, what did I do? I went upstairs to his office. I wrote an article about upstairs and downstairs. I went upstairs to the owner's office. I asked my teammates if they wanted to come. Many said no, because they didn't think real change would happen to Emmanuel's point. Uh, these, white, these white owners, they don't care about us. And these coaches, they don't care about us. But trust was built. And so I went upstairs. And once again, that relationship was built. And that's why you see, and when I say relationship, I mean, I mean we went to the south side of Chicago, Inglewood, like the toughest district in Chicago and did a police ride along. We went to the, the Louisiana State Penitentiary, the largest maximum security penitentiary, with Steve Carter. Steve was there as well. Uh, and, we, and we got a chance to serve and, and learn from people. We went to a Lecrae so concert, I'm a you didn't a go. concert. Wait, I, I, I wasn't know invited. Why. Where was my invite? I didn't get invited to the dinner either. Thanks, Sam. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, wait, Sam, Nacho, you went, Steve went. <laughs> I appreciate you noticing that. <laughs> it was it was like the white girl was supposed to be in your video who didn't show up. <laughs> uh, we don't get a name anymore. We're just the innocuous white girl. <laughs> but the point I'm making is that it takes it takes trust. It takes stepping out of your shell and and admitting that I may not be comfortable around you, but I'm going to do the work to make the relationship last. I know, Emmanuel, you've got you to gotta get ready for Oprah, and I feel like um, this <laughs> There's is something we never said before. CNN New Day tomorrow morning. Come oh. on now. Okay, I just want to finish up with this one question, and then you got you to gotta rest. You got a big day tomorrow, and really, really grateful for you taking the time. Akshay, you just like kind of shared this whole thing on trust. Um, you know, Emmanuel, what you have just done in these videos. You both from St. Mark's High both went to UT and you mentioned in the first video, Emmanuel, how this is caught, not taught. Where did you guys catch this? Was this around the table? Was this in master's courses at Thunderbird or at UT? Where did you catch this bridge building, want to fill in the gap, willing to walk upstairs, willing to, to reach out to and, and hang with McConaughey? Like where was that caught? For both of you yeah for me obviously i think it all starts in the household uh, it all starts at home with my parents their work ethic their being um intrinsically in their dna um their love for god their knowledge of jesus that's where it was all built in, in the household and in the church 
And then it was just cultivated. I think at a very young age, we, we caught it. At a very young age, we saw it. I'm like, there's a reason I don't curse because my parents never cussed. So the reason I don't drink because I never saw my parents drink. You're just, you're a product of your environment to a degree. And then as, as, as I got older, bad company corrupts good morals, right? And you are the sum of those who you put around you. And so if you incubate yourself with like-minded people, then you just continue to grow and spin and grow and spin and grow and spin in that incubated space with those like-minded people. Um, and so that's really what, what, what it was for me. And the last thing I'll say on this is I, I've always tried to be a thermostat, not a thermometer, right? And so I try to go in and I try to change the temperature in the room and change my environment instead of just changing to it. And that's really what it is. Like with, with the, the uncomfortable series, um, uncomfortable conversations with a black man, I reached out to my videographers and we all, we all leveled up. Now McConaughey texted me after the shoot hey, what's your videographer's information? My wife loved what they did. I'd love to reach out to them, right? Like we, we all leveled up. So it's all about changing your environment around you and starting and cultivating it as a young age and growing with it. Yeah, and just to second that, I don't know if our parents were intentional in this. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Maybe it was just by God's design. But, and Emmanuel, you can attest to this because you were there, but we went to a, essentially an all-black church, South Oak Cliff, South Dallas, in the hood probably redlined, if we're being honest, that area is probably redlined. We went to, for the most part of our academic years, a predominantly white school. So you got a whole different perspective. But then add that to every summer and every Christmas, every other Christmas, we were going to Nigeria to a developing country. Back then they called it a third world country. Get in this different perspective. Even we on every first Saturday of the month, we went to this deal called African Christian Fellowship, where all the Nigerians of the, of the community got together. So it's almost like we were exposed to so much. And so there was no room for bias. There was no room for hate. And even when we saw it, we could distinguish it. We could say, you know what? That's not, that's not right. That's not okay. And I think that's where uh, to people who have friends or parents or, uh, or parents who have kids, anybody listening to Emmanuel's point, more is caught than taught. You can try and read a book to your child about racism or about love, but if you actually Doesn't love matter. people well, Exactly. Exactly. You need to love people well, whether you're a parent to a child or just your friends, love people well. Those jokes that people make that, that a lot of people think are funny, those aren't funny. So don't make yeah. those jokes. That is, and, and I think when, when I say those jokes, people know what I'm talking about. Right. Don't don't make those jokes or don't don't allow your friends to say those things that that oftentimes black and white people will just laugh off because it's just part of life. It's like, no, man, you got to start living it out, living out the way that you want the world to become. And I think just last thing to that, it's so imperative that we expose our children. Like, it's, and, and I don't have any, you know, y'all, I believe all y'all on the call do it. Man, my married friends with kids, they underestimate it. Like, I went to my, my friend's house the other week, and um, their, their son's known me since birth. He's three-year-old. He's a three-year-old. And he, was, he wouldn't hug me. He was acting all weird. And the dad was like, honestly, bro, I thought it was because he hadn't seen black people in a while. And the wife was mortified, but I was honored that he would actually acknowledge that because I'm like, great, you get that there might be a problem. And the problem is now they're like, well, how do we expose them? And I'm like, well, if you live in your white neighborhood in this white suburb and you go to your white church and you live in your white life, they're never going to be exposed. Yeah. Then your kid's going to be 25 and you're going to be sitting here wondering like why there's a problem. You're going to be sitting here wondering like why he doesn't know how to communicate with black people or why he's ignorant. And it's because you, you, you developed that, you cultivated that. And mind you, we live in a society where 
no, no disrespect to anyone, where you can walk this whole life, your whole life as a white person, white, because everything can exist in just the stores you go to are expensive. For, so for the most part, they'll price out black people who have $5 to $100 of wealth that every white person in America has. So you're priced out. You can go to a school in a school district that has priced out black people. You can go to a church in a church area that is not priced out, but it's churched out black people. And so I just pray that like parents know, that's why I say be anti-racist, not just not racist, because you can go through your whole life, just living life thinking you're just doing a great thing, not realizing that, wait a second, I haven't educated or exposed my child to anything besides themselves. And it's a complete disservice. Yeah, the exposure is so important, but so are the conversations. I loved Emmanuel that you said that, you know, your friend wasn't afraid to say that to you. I think sometimes, and this is not true for all white people, but uh, for some white people, kids will say something or someone will say something and it's like, oh, no, no, we don't, shh. Like, we don't say that. We don't say, we don't say that. We've had, I mean, look, we live in New York City, so... (laughs) We have all the conversations on the street about all the things, okay? And some of those conversations you really don't want to have when your kid's like three and yelling it on a subway about all different sorts of things. But I will say I love, I didn't want to, when our daughter asked a question similar to that, uh, one of our friends had been in our house who was black and uh, we told Scout that we were having another friend over and she just asked, she was four at the time, I think. And she just asked, she said, does she have light skin or dark skin? And I think there's this immediate like, oh no, who cares? It doesn't matter. We, you know, like, why is it? Like, don't say that. And then I was like, no, it was such an innocent question. She just, she wasn't saying one was bad and one was good. She was just curious. Like we shouldn't be so afraid of these conversations (laughs) that we suppress the questions and we attach shame to those because she has no, like, there was nothing behind it. You know, it was genuinely just a question. And sometimes I think we project our own issues or insecurities Mm -hmm. or fears on our children and they don't deserve that. So I would just encourage all, all the white people out there that have had those same feelings of like quiet, ask that question at home. Like, no, it's okay. (laughs) And it's okay. If there are some awkward moments to be like, Hey man, she's four. (laughs) like just a question and there's no sin behind it that is that is innocent curiosity so good well hey i just want you guys to know i feel like you three i pray for you guys each of you often um just because of the spaces that you guys um that god has entrusted to you and i think one thing that has given me hope that came out just before this uh kind of podcast taping and i was telling acho this is that the New York Times bestseller list had 11 out of 15 were authors who were black or people of color. That is the first time I think that has ever had that kind of stats. And I just go, gosh, I think it's these conversations that you're having, uh, Emmanuel. I think it's I think it's the, the things that you are writing, um, Acho. Sam, Ponder, I think it's even just the vulnerability which you have shared. You know, I, I think it's, the normalizing and the exposure, the trust, the relation, and we need more of it. And so, Emmanuel, for what God has in store for you, uh, profound levels of blessing on you, and thank you. Thank you for starting these conversations. Keep bridging that gap. We are so, so thankful. And come on anytime because um, we'll take shots at you any 
Anytime, anytime. Well, Dan Ponder, you, know you have my number. Oprah, you can really come on anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up? Uh, so what's up, my friends? <laughs> Love you, boss. All right, bro. Later. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Home Team Podcast. And seriously, I'm just so grateful for Emmanuel Acho. I love what he said, that there's this difference between careers and calling, and I really do agree. I think he has found a calling, and if you're not following him uh, on Twitter or Instagram, it's simply at the man Acho. Find him. Follow him. The sky's the limit with this guy, and uh, I'm just so grateful that in such a busy couple of weeks, he took some time to join and speak some life and truth into all of us. But seriously, uh, we're grateful for you. Um, the Home Team Pod is on Twitter, at Home Team Pod, and it's also on Instagram, at Home Team underscore pod. We always love to hear from you. If you've got questions or maybe even some thoughts of who potentially, if we ever do another interview we should do, uh, let us know. Um, but if you really enjoyed this podcast, please share it, subscribe, leave a review. Um, but more than anything, uh, thank you for being the kind of people who go on this journey with us. We'll see you next week. Grace and peace.